Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 270 of the Spoiler Alert podcast, brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. This is Mike, I'm here with Danny, and I'm particularly excited tonight because we're reviewing one of my favorite movies from a couple of years ago, starring Hugh Jackman, The Greatest Showman. Danny, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Mike. I think you're going to be a little frustrated when I remind you that we're actually here to discuss 1952's Best Picture winning The Greatest Show on Earth. Uh, not I'm going to need a hard stop. Here, I'm going to need a hard stop. Can we do a can we just take a pause and I can watch that movie? It's probably what well, the greatest the greatest show on earth is probably what like 90 minutes or so. There's a there's at least 90 minutes in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We'll take a pause. We'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 270 of the Spoiler Alert Podcast. This is Mike. I'm here with Danny. And tonight we're reviewing a Best Picture winner. This one from 1950-something. What was it, Danny? 1952. 1952. It's the greatest show on earth, a Cecil B. DeMille production. Is it ever? Starring Charlton Heston... And J- Jimmy Stewart, inexplicably. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, all right. How, how are you doing, Danny? I'm doing great. I really look forward to discussing this film. I can't wait. Yes, yes. Uh, before we do, we always talk a little bit about the Academy Awards and sort of what was going on um, that year in movies. This right. is a movie that it won Best Picture. Ironically, it won Best Story and was nominated for three other Academy Awards, which didn't win. But right away, like within years, was already considered one of the worst Best Picture winners. Oh, and, I didn't know that. Okay. One of those, right. it's like a crash. Like it won and people are like, oh, it won. And then like within days, it's like, how just did that crapped win? all over yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. All Everybody right. just <laughs> shook their head for years and years in Hollywood. And for many years, it, it existed on all the the worst Best Picture winner lists. It's got oh, one of the excellent. lowest Rotten Tomato scores of any Best Picture winner. Um, and up until Spotlight, it was the only movie ever up until Spotlight to win Best Picture and only one other award. Oh, okay. And and what was the other award? You said Best Story, which is like a screenplay kind of award. Once yeah, a like a precursor, okay. right? There's All there right. was there's right. a screenplay and a story back in the fifties. Got it. Okay. All right. So. So here we are. I'm looking through the movies that year. Moulin Rouge. I mean, I thought that was just like. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but apparently... <laughs> this isn't the Baz Luhrmann... Oh, it's not. Cartoon. Okay, no, all right. No. All right. Uh, uh, High Noon. Like High, High Noon, Noon was a fantastic movie. I love that movie. That So that was yes. that year. Okay, all right. So that that was that year. That one, I mean, Gary Cooper, right? That's, uh, yeah, Gary Cooper won Best Actor for it. That Correct. won several yes. Academy Awards. It's a, yes. a, a very powerful film, and, and many people to this day... Will uh, sort of put that as the movie that that should have won. Should have won. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know what? So let, let me go back to what was what won the prior year. I, I think that it's so interesting to look at what the Academy chooses within a five year span of time. Even sure. even to this day, like I think that Gladiator was a really odd win amongst the movies that had won within the you know five years prior and five years after. I think that, that was a an odd one. Well, I, I, I can kind of understand that 
Gladiator would win, but I still think Russell Crowe for Gladiator as best actor is the weirder win. That's a that's an odd one. Yeah, that's an yeah. odd one. I think from uh, from that one. Okay. The next year was From Here to Eternity, which is a great movie. Fantastic, great choice, awesome. Never saw it. Okay, we'll be seeing it at some point in the near future. And the year before is an American in Paris. Okay, so another another doozy. Yeah, yeah all right, yeah. all right. It's a toughie. The, though I would say, like, while I was watching, I, we shouldn't get into this just yet because you've got to do a plot recap. But I I do have to say that while I was watching this, I'm thinking in my head, like, what are my top five least favorite Best Picture winners that we've reviewed, and where does this sit amongst them? And American in Paris was in that list, and My Fair Lady was in For that sure. list. Uh, so American in Paris was the year before, and then the year after was From Here to Eternity, which I thought was a great movie. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, buddy, why don't you hit us up with a quick plot recap of the greatest show on earth, the Best Picture winner from this year? Yes. I'm going to keep this super tight. The movie is two and a half hours long. And though it won for best story, I'm really going to truncate the plot here and say that this movie it uh, surrounds the Ring Ring Brothers and Barnum and Bailey's circus. And uh, the, it, the story follows the, the manager, Brad Braden, uh, played by Charlton Heston, as he works to, to shepherd the circus through a profitable season. In order to do that, he enlists the great Sebastian, who is an acrobat. And this requires Brad to to tell his girlfriend, Holly, who's also a trapeze artist, that she's not going to get the center ring this season. She's going to be in ring one. Well, this starts a dangerous game of one-upsmanship between Holly and the great Sebastian ultimately ending in tragedy, then love, maybe heartbreak. And there are some subplots in the film surrounding the secret past of Buttons the Clown and the efforts of the mafia to move in on the game concessions. And that's the greatest show on earth. Yeah, there it is. Two and a half hours worth. Two and a half hours. What did you think? I think that there were a few interesting things about this movie. I think that they mostly came in the third act. And I feel like the first two hours of it were so hideously boring. I wanted to stick my finger into my eye until it touched my brain and then swirl it around a bit. See, it's funny because I wanted to just touch my eye and just push my eyeball back and forth rather than uh, rather than watch this movie. This movie is just a lot. It's if you love the circus, you're going to freaking love this movie. But if you have no interest in the circus whatsoever, this movie is terrible. And. I don't think this is a this in any way could convert a non-circus person to suddenly become enthralled mm, with the yes. majesty of the circus. I think if you are pro circus already, you're in luck. You're in for a treat. I think if you're not, this is a push. I I was worried going into this movie that there were going to be like absurdly long extended scenes of circus acts. And it did not disappoint. 
that's what we get. <laughs> This is <laughs> this is what you get from from yeah. scene one. You've got sometimes twenty minute trapeze scenes that you yeah. like. You can't believe this is actually this is actually committed to film. <laughs> like like people would pay for a ticket to go to a theater to watch what they could just go to the circus and see. It was it was a little weird. It was weird, and and I wrote the first note I wrote was. As this begins, I admit to myself, I have zero interest in the circus. I, I like same, n- I'm right none there with you. parts of the circus <laughs> spark any sort of romantic. Uh, I'm not. I'm not really cool with like the animals being caged and and no. paraded around. Like I, I don't think that that's okay. Like I, I feel like the the people with you know if. if physical ailments and stuff like that that they they bring into the circus is kind of upsetting and and absurd it just seems like like an awful performance as well like you know you're sitting in the round right it's a big round tent so you got people on both sides but oftentimes the action is really either only happening in one point so like one seventh of the humans can see it Right. Or there's so many things happening simultaneously that these people are laughing at a clown while over there there's a lion tamer while over here you've got the trapeze artists going and there's a there's a band that's just incessantly banging away in the corner and every shot of the crowd in this movie is just oh like slovenly kids <laughs> schlupping ice cream that's melting there's ice cream all over their face popcorn, yes. like just like just mushing so their face there's crumbs everywhere <laughs> like this just seems like short attention span theater for dumb messy people <laughs> right 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 it's just I'm, nothing it, it just doesn't paint the circus very well at all I'm I'm totally with you. I'm going to just straight out say that I disliked this movie a lot, but before I get into all of the things that I disliked. I wanted to say one thing that I really enjoyed. I really didn't like the narration throughout the movie, except there there were some weird scenes intercut maybe three or four times throughout this two and a half hour long film where it's almost like a documentary of people setting up and tearing down the circus that I found incredibly interesting. And I thought if this had been the movie, if if they'd only had like a 25-minute short documentary about the 1,500 people that need to set up a circus overnight and tear it down a week later, I would love that movie. It's a Tuesday night. It's 11.15 p.m. You have a head cold. You already know you're not going into work. You're sitting up in the the spare room trying to watch TV to fall asleep. And you find this episode of Modern Marvels on the History Channel. And it's all about the circus. And, like, the practical required work and effort engineering these, would, these yeah. guys that are going to be up in, for for six hours, like they're going to bed when you're getting up in the morning on yep. a Wednesday. Super like interesting. That, that seemed fascinating to me. Like yes. watching the trucks moving things and the the you know tanks getting stuff off of the train. Like it was that was really cool. I mean that was eight minutes of this two yes. and a half hour long movie, and I just wish that had been a twenty five minute short documentary. I'd have loved it. Yes, I agree. And I also will give the, the the film credit. While I did not enjoy the circus, and there was a lot of circus, 
you did get a lot of circus. Like, clearly, a lot of this was filmed on location with a real circus, with real real performers. The actors, especially Holly and uh, the great Sebastian, the, the trapeze artists, these were actors who had to perform on the trapeze. This isn't like uh, a close-up of Holly's face and then we cut away and it's a stunt double. It's her. Right. So clearly a lot of effort went into this. But what I found baffling is that while Cecil B. DeMille, the director, was able to get all this real circus footage and get his actors on location and get them up in the air, 40 feet in the air, doing these tricks, it seemed like he also used a very primitive green screen and used it extensively. Like in one scene, Holly and um, uh, Brad, you know, Charlton Heston would be in the big top right there with all the other people talking. And then you get a close up and suddenly it's this terrible, like the two of them standing in front of a photograph of the big top. Like, why did we cut to the what? What just right. happened? Like, and that happened over and over and over with this terrible green screen effect when they clearly were on set and with a circus for much of the shoot. So I just didn't understand this weird mix of we're really there and in the moment and it just a a crappy, uh, we're faking it. It's, uh, it's. What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? It's a what's up with, but I actually liked, I, I found it endearing that the character of Buttons, played by Jimmy Stewart, is a clown who never takes his makeup off. Right. He's always in his clown makeup because he's right. Buttons the clown all the time. Well, of course, we learn, spoiler alert, that that Buttons is actually a former surgeon who's on the lam after, I think, performing assisted suicide on his on wife. His wife. Yeah, yeah. And and he wears his clown makeup because he's so convinced that people will just recognize him. That one murder in one town, <laughs> one assisted suicide in one town, a decade later, people are just going to like look at him and be like, oh my gosh, it's the guy. And I thought it was such a weird, quaint thing. And then, of course, the subplot comes that they're there are police they, they officers. Are, they are looking for him. Yes. Still searching. Yeah, right. I mean, I hope every cold case detective watches this movie and thinks, <laughs> "I got to get back to work." This guy's. This guy's you never can give up. This you guy's riding the circus train, taking <laughs> fingerprints of every male working in the circus. A decade later, still hunting for this doctor. <laughs> I mean, whatever their whatever effort these cold case detectives are putting in, it's not enough. <laughs> This guy no, beats him. No. And so I just thought it was such a quaint and like a weirdly shoehorned in subplot. But I am a Jimmy Stewart fan. And so I just enjoyed having him on screen um, as weird as it was to always have him in this cake makeup the whole movie. Yes. It, it looked absurd. Yeah. yeah. A very weird yeah. choice. Yeah. I also feel like Jimmy Stewart early in the movie looked kind of weird. Like when the when the trapeze artist was doing her thing, he was kind of doing a weird thing with his fingers and covering his eyes and covering his dog's eyes that I thought like, oh, is he kind of off? Like it, like later I realized, no, he's not. But early in the movie, I thought like he kind of had a kind of had a thing. I, yeah. I, it was it was a little weird. I, I think we've gotten to the extent of the things that I liked about the movie. 
Can I? So, in addition to all the circus points, which we both disliked, I had to say, I felt like the movie's main dramatic conflict seemed to revolve around a scheduling snafu. Right? <laughs> like the whole, yes. like the big, like the driver of the drama between Holly and Brad and the Great Sebastian is that. The great Sebastian is going to do his tricks in the center ring. But he and Holly always go on together and people seem to look at them both. And I just didn't understand, like, well, if the circus goes on for, I don't know, three, four hours, why not have the great Sebastian go on? And then Holly can go on in the center ring 20 minutes yeah. later or 20 minutes right. earlier. Like she can be the opening act. Like, right. I didn't understand why being 12 feet to the left or right was such a demotion right? that it really causes her to like want to leave her boyfriend and she falls in love with Sebastian. And then there's this like life and death rivalry between the two of them. It's like, but it's, it's okay that she falls out of love with her boyfriend because there's that other woman that instantly like is making coffee in his trailer. Like, Oh, like, she was just, coming this, on her. This is just the, the weird, like sir, if this is what circus life is like, which I can't, Imagine it's not like that. Like, it's kind of hilarious and weird. Yeah. What's what's up with what's-her-name, Holly, or the other girl, yep. girl number two, saying, you can worry about any other guy in this show, but not Sebastian. Like, like she's, she's, like, getting upset that her boyfriend is jealous of Sebastian, but she's saying, I'm not with Sebastian, but you can worry about any other guy in the show. Yikes! Yeah, like the, you're you're gonna probably wanna wanna dismiss her. The sexual we, politics we here are just nuts. You're it gonna just, end up with an itch if you you end up with her. Yeah. Can I just say that this movie starts right away with Charlton Heston coming to the Ring, Ringling Brothers Circus, like winter prep grounds in Florida, as the circus is getting ready. And what is up with this? Is like the most hilariously outdated medical advice slash crazy character introduction of all time. He gets off his, he gets out of his Jeep and he's wandering through the circus grounds, talking to people. And he, he sees a, um, a trainer with some chimpanzees who might be getting sick. He tells them, be sure you give them more immune serum <laughs> and an extra dose of <laughs> cod liver oil. Just wait. Then, then he tells another guy that, some other animal is sick. He says, well, be sure you give her lots of gin and ginger. So he's prescribing alcohol. Then he tells the uh, the giraffe trainer to shove a billiard cue down its throat to, like, swab it out. This is the advice that in the first minute of introducing this guy, it's like Grandpa Simpson walking around on the Simpsons then- giving medical. Like, he's on rounds at a hospital. Like, that's a sequence, by the way, I would love to see. Grandpa Simpson, as a medical <laughs> resident, doing rounds, just giving medical advice. But but then for the next three minutes, it's all politics with Brad talking to the higher-ups in the circus, and it's just him screaming. Like, all he can do is yell. It is the most, it's the most absurd way to try and get your point across in the history of business. I agree. However, the points he's fighting against are also insane. Because the the big wigs of the circus, their proposal is a ten city tour. They're gonna get they're gonna play ten dates 
one keep it in the black yep yes one day in each location so two shows a day so 10 days plus travel time and his alternative brad's suggestion instead is a quote-unquote full season which is 90 days and apparently hits like every town in america (laughs) now and it's like coming to okanamawa and in the movie They seem to be in the black. They're doing fine. So, like, was this really the choice? We can either play just these ten cities or all of them. <laughs> and apparently, in the world. financially, it worked out just fine. Like, it was, <laughs> it was like, it wasn't like, well, we're going to play these 65 days instead of 90. Or it, it was like all or none. And it was the right. most great. Right. So, if I were him, I probably would have been shouting as well. Okay, fair. What's up with uh, there's a scene in the movie where they're doing a long parade. I mean, and I mean by long, I mean like this is a 30 minute scene, and he, the the announcer just keeps announcing, and here's an album of these songs, oh, and here's yeah. an album of these songs, and one of them is Disney, and the Disney characters that come out look like they've been melted in a fire. They're filthy. They, like it. Yes. Like if 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 those were the kids, if those are the characters that I remembered as a kid. I'd never go back to Disney World no, again. They say, were they were terrifying. No, you say that, but but we're coming up on Walt Disney World's fiftieth um, anniversary, right? In a couple right, of years, yes, so yeah. people are posting a lot of photos online of nineteen seventy one and Walt Disney World's Uh-oh. Magic Kingdom Do they opening. Look like that, check out the picture of Mickey <laughs> from nineteen seventy one. It looks insane. It does not at all look like the Mickey you know and love today. But right. but these characters not only do they look weird, they just look filthy. They look like right. like these costumes have just been rolled around in the bottom of the giraffe cage, right. rattling around with the billiard cues, just that get shoved down but, the, and all the cod liver oil and but, immune serum. But, but they look ten percent as filthy as the shot that they cut to every forty seconds to an audience member <laughs> yeah. shoving food in their mouth. Like, it's either popcorn or cotton candy, usually ice cream. Most of it is on their face, and I'm not just talking about kids. Yeah. Sometimes it's adults. They're, all the adults are wearing suits. All it is just time. the weirdest, yep. weirdest thing. You get yeah. dressed up. So you get dressed up to go to the circus, which I have to laugh at. But also, Brad's whole business, the reason he thinks he can stay in the black and he can maneuver the entire circus company for 90 days as opposed to 10 is he's hiring the great Sebastian. And again, I think going back to the opening, if you're not already a circus lover, would, would finding out that the great Sebastian is there suddenly make you want to go to the circus? (laughs) Oh, he's here. Oh, geez. Like you're not a circus lover, but you're totally into trapeze. (laughs) But only with him because Holly just wasn't going to cut it. Uh, let's right. keep her in ring one or ring three. Also, there was a very quick illusion early in the film that everyone's going to have to wear blackface, and they all just laugh at this joke. Yes, was that like, was oh that, boy, that was bad. <laughs> thank God, thank God, we didn't go there. We sidestepped that land landmine. What's up with during that same parade of ridiculous albums that they keep going through? They hit the Christmas album. And then Oh Come All Ye Faithful comes on and it's just a bunch of women in blue riding on elephants. Like what 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 does this have to do with Christmas or Jesus or anything? The whole music parade scene with all these carriages and costumes seemed like the worst part of the circus. Like right. I could get behind watching 
acrobats and, you know, maybe tightrope walkers or I was even interested in the dog that jumped up on another dog's back that rode a horse. <laughs> that was kind of cool. But yeah. this parade of like, and now a country western, you know, <laughs> theme. And it's just like five like parade floats walking by again, like through the sawdust floor. So only right. half of the audience can see slowly making its way around. But the music is only coming from one spot. So by the time they get to your side of the tent, that song's over. It just seemed well, like I would be just in. It, that's hell. That's just hell. What's up with what's up with one of the characters is actually like on the sawdust floor singing a song to the audience at that point. And there's like a microphone in her vicinity, but yeah. she's nowhere ever near it. Yet her voice is projecting through. Clears about externally like that. That was stupid. I, however, like get past this parade. There's a scene a little bit later where they do this picnic in the park thing. And speaking of the blue screen, they've got the two lead women characters in like a horse-drawn carriage mm-hmm. or float thing. Yep. And the the blue screen or green screen behind them looks like they're going eighty miles per hour. Like yeah. they're just getting like That's... wheeled around the the, yeah. the big dragged top. in a. But if you look at the race. back, it, it it absolutely looks like they're in the Indy Five Hundred. Right. It's it's so stupid. Yes. Well, so what's up with? Holly and the great Sebastian, they're competing with one another, but Holly may love him, but not at all because she just wants Brad's attention, but she loves Sebastian, who's a horrible misogynist and womanizer, but he may also love Holly. I didn't understand. And then they're, they're in this one upsmanship and he decides to go without a net and to do some new trick and he falls 40 feet right onto his back. It is a Bad. it is a gross scene. He, yes. he should be dead. Instead, yes. he shows up three months later. It's a three month jump cut in timing, and he has claw hand. <laughs> like his hand is just white, and he just sort of holds it like a claw, and that's as much as we know about his medical condition. Right, right. Was claw hand a thing? Like, is that a thing you could? I, ha- I mean, maybe in the fifties. I don't know. I don't know. It was I don't know. so nasty. What what's up with there being a scene with a kid in the audience like pointing and shooting a toy gun at the performers yeah. on the stage? Like that's that's the kind of thing you can't get away with anymore, right? Like like nobody's nobody's in an audience at any event with a toy gun pointing at people. Yeah, that's not that's not okay. Um but what's up with how hard Angel comes on to Brad? She just goes into his trailer. She's making him coffee. She's lighting cigarettes or packing his pipe. She's cleaning his place. And also what's up with Brad knows everything about the circus. He knows every like nut and bolt on everything. But he actually at some point seems confused as to just who the hell she is. (laughs) She's like worked for him for multiple seasons. She's in multiple shows along the way during the show. He can erect any tent on on the whole midway. Yes, He knows the whole schedule. He's like, hey, you know, he talks to all the trainers. He knows everybody. But this person who's worked with him for years, he's like, and who are you? You're uh, you're who? What's what's up with Holly keep doing that weird thing with her nose when she's competing with Sebastian? She keeps like flicking her yes. nose. What is up like, with that? And, like, is is it runny or did she have a little booger in there? Because like he keeps doing like a like blower a kiss sort of 
like yeah. send off like I'm better than you kind of thing. And hers is kind of gross and weird. And yeah, I, 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 it annoyed me about her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's up with so? There's a horrible train crash because the angels. The only interesting point of this movie. But it still makes no sense because Angel's boyfriend was the elephant tamer. He gets jealous of her affection for Brad and and basically tries to kill her by having an elephant crush her skull during the circus. So he gets fired. And then the the racketeers or the mafia guys who want to rob the concessions convince him to rob the circus train. And then when he realizes that their robbery is actually going to cause a train crash, he commits suicide by driving his car onto the tracks to try and save Angel, causes a horrific train crash. It's a horrible train crash. I mean, clearly everything is ruined. The circus is is over. People are dying. Charlton Heston's character, Brad, is dying. He's got, like, metal coming out of him. He needs a blood transfusion. But through all the subsequent scenes, he is just barking orders about the circus. I mean, never in the history of film has a character well, cared more about his job than Charlton Heston. And, well, nobody, great and that, no characters had a, a least a less important job. It's it's great while he's like impaled on iron too. That like people are running up to him like we're not going to cancel the show. We're going to keep it going. Like like every single one of these train cars has derailed. There are lions running lions wild through this state yeah. of Iowa. Like lions it's we're, we're we're in a nightmare like, here. There's a, and, there's blood. We got to we got to we got to get these cats. There's blood in the air here, man. They're going to come and they're going to come eat. So he's got he's trying to deal with that, but he's also like, "Hey, you know, hey shorty, get, see how much piping we have. Will we be able to erect the big top?" Maybe we can go, uh, we'll go open in the round. Get me some lighting cables. It's like, dude, you're dying. You're getting an emergency you, you blood need, transfusion You need to dial it down. You, you should be, you're, you're from the clown, you should also be concerned about the fact that a lion might just attack you any moment. Because you're, you're damaged goods here, dude. Like, you're, you're in trouble and the lion's going to sense that. I think you should also be concerned with the fact that your medical professional is an angel of death. Right. right. He's just going to mercy kill you. Right. Yes. Right. Right. I mean, at some point, you're just waiting for Buttons to just say, you know what, Brad? Just shh. Shh. And just like pushes his hat over his face and just sort of mushes him into the sawdust. I mean, that's, oh, that's how God. Buttons probably would have solved that uh, in real life. Oh, God. And then I got to, I got to just one last one. What's up with the, what's up with so the, the train crashes? The circus decides we got to do this. We got to put on a show. Now, also, the train crashed overnight on its way somewhere. But in the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. And you presume that wherever they were headed, uh, people were either they were expecting the circus later in the day or the next day or whenever. Instead, the circus does like a full on parade to the nearest downtown and the entire town is just out watching a parade. I mean, can you imagine in your small town or, or any town in the, in the United States that just on some random Thursday morning, the circus just starts magically parading itself <laughs> and not just the circus, but like Holocaust survivors of a train crash bedraggled, you know, bloodied circus performers 
does the whole town just turn out and cheer and and close traffic and everything's cool for them? Or does somebody just immediately pull them over and say, what the hell is going on over here? How many hundreds of people need medical yes, attention? Yes. We got to get the NTSB out there. We got to get the <laughs> we got to the FBI helping. We got to get somebody. There's, there's big cats loose. You got lions uh. and tigers loose. <laughs> nuts, just nuts. All right, <laughs> buddy, are you ready for five questions? Absolutely. We've got five listener submitted questions. Thank you, listeners, for your questions on the greatest show on earth. Question number one. Who is a creepier clown? Jimmy Stewart as Buttons or Pennywise? Uh, Pennywise is creepier. Okay. Buttons is more sad. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Question number two. Has there been a longer trapeze act scene ever committed to celluloid? I don't think so. I can't imagine that there would be. I mean, we saw a lot of them, right? Like there's a lot of trapeze here. There, there, <laughs> there's a lot. Uh... Question number three. How often have you gotten in a domestic tiff and had your hand burned with an iron? Oh, that's a great <laughs> sequence. Yes. Yeah. Angel just slams an iron down on her boyfriend's that, hand. That's that's like assault. Like that's, that's you yeah. call the cops kind of <laughs> right? That's life in the circus. Right. That's just the type of... The type of relationship you get, I think. Right. right. Uh, so uh, question number four. Buttons... Uh, has as his prop a, a little live dog that he you know pats and is super cute. Sure. Uh, but but there's a scene in which he's shooting off all kinds of like pop guns and fireworks and, and whatever. With buttons shooting off all of that, how does this dog not have PTSD? I don't know, but he also just randomly hands the dog to kids all the time. That was uh, upsetting as well. Yes. Yeah. Like, like you can't just give the dog to a kid. And, like, I thought the kid was going to get to keep it. And it's like, no, you should probably clear that with the parents right. first, right? Maybe real clear, you're just holding this dog. Right. For a minute. I'm not giving you a free dog. But that's when anything. he had to talk to his mom and, like, learn that they're asking yeah, questions so again. Yeah, so can we, can we go... Yeah, so can we just quickly address also that, that Button's mom shows up at his shows uh, at least once a season, and he, he gives her some flowers and gives her a kiss because she knows he's a killer, but he's on the lamb. It was just the craziest, it was stupidest plot point. But it was the first point of the movie, and it's like an hour and 15 minutes in that I sort of got interested. Like, I'm like, oh, what is going on with him? Like, why is he being investigated? Like, you didn't know about the the mercy killing at the time and finally I was like okay I, I might be able to find something in this movie that I'm interested in I, I love also that the plot point is further uh, they give us another breadcrumb later when a magazine or a newspaper article about his killing from 10 years ago just magically is like on the ground and he even picks it up and is like huh and it's got a picture of him and it's, like, it's got like talking. a it's got like a quote that he's given to other people in the circus. His catchphrase. His, yeah, like, 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 dude, you, no, come well, on. You just said that the other day. Like, you're, you've, oh, you've, you've chosen to live your life in grease paint, yet you still keep like uttering the same catchphrase. That oh, the dude. same weird catchphrase. <laughs> right, right. So weird. <laughs> 
asshole. He lives in grease paint 24 hours a day. I know. His like, skin must be just an abomination. It's got to be disgusting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, sloughs off. <laughs> Final question. Did I hear this right? Did Sebastian say to a woman, no sometimes means yes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you heard that correctly. It All was right. the 50s, and he was Italian. So, so it's cool. So it's totally cool. It's totally cool. He's good looking as well, so then it's allowed. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. That's five questions. Thank you, listeners. Thanks, listeners. Wow. I'm really humbled that anyone watched this movie and sent in questions. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. They dedicated a couple hours to this one. Well, that's another best picture in the books. I have to say, I don't think the Academy got it right. I think High Noon is a stronger picture. Definitely. Uh, now, they were coming off an, an American in Paris, which is also an abomination. Like, it's, uh, just, it's so just interesting just... It's interesting to think about what their their um, sentiment was back at the time. Like, was it just like this was super exciting and epic and large and technicolor and it's the circus and it's huge and you've got tons of extras and you've got... Like, High Noon is a small film, right? I mean, it's yeah. 90 minutes, it's black and white, it's Gary Cooper and a couple of people. It's a movie that I love, but, you know, it's, I don't know, it's not sweeping like this one was. I, I just find it infinitely more interesting and more exciting than this movie was. Yeah, this was a toughie. Well, coming up next, we got another character who tends to wear grease paint as we see Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal of Joker. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.